You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Go ahead and take a seat, loved ones. And as you do, I would love it if you would grab a, a copy of God's Word and uh, join me in the book of Philippians, which is where we are. Uh, remember, last weekend we started a, a new series called Citizens of Heaven. And uh, we'll be tracking in the book of Philippians for the next several months or so and excited for some of the themes that come up again and again and again, themes that were fresh then and are still fresh, we pray, to our hearts today. Philippians, uh, the book, comes to us because of a care package that was sent to a prison cell. Philippi, the city, and if you were from that city of Philippi, and for you who are here right now, and maybe your cultural heritage is Greek, you can just get over the fact maybe that we keep pronouncing that word wrong. You come from a place that call it Philippi, but we're going to call it Philippi, okay, for our series. Bless you, we love you. Uh, but Philippi, if you were from that city, you'd be called a Philippian, like I'm a Berlintonian. Philippi, the, the city, heard that Paul was in jail, locked up probably in Rome, and they sent him some stuff. So back then, when you were in jail, the jail wasn't responsible to feed you. They weren't responsible to clothe you, take care of your basic necessities. You actually had to pay for the jail cell that they would lock you in, and then you had to pay for the food. So Philippi hears this, the Philippians hear this, and they package up a gift box and send it out to Paul. Probably, by the way, of a guy named Epaphroditus, who we'll meet later in the book. So they send him probably things like clothes, a a pen, books, food, peanut M&Ms, things you really need. And, and so this church hears that he has all this stuff, and, and they send him something. And like today, when you get a care package, you write back and say, thank you so much for sending that. Hey, let me fill you in a little bit on what's going on in my life. That happened 2,000 years ago almost. And a man wrote a letter by the, guy, by the name of Paul, and, 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 and he wrote them back, and now we have this letter in our Bibles, Philippians. So we talked last weekend about what kinds of things we'll go into in the next couple weeks ahead, Uh, things like uh, why the book of Philippians was written, so to encourage reliable partners in the gospel, to strengthen those who are facing hostility, to wake up those distracted by internal competition and discord, perseverance and resolve within opposition, a call for mature discipleship and strong communities of faith, and to live as citizens of heaven and not citizens of Rome or the world. That's where we're going to go in the course of our series, and actually a couple of these themes will pop up tonight in our text that sits in front of us. Last week, Pastor Robbie talked about how the Philippians, were, Paul was talking about how, how he was so thankful for them, for their, thankful for their sacrifice and the gift, thankful for the good report he heard, not just of their kindness to him, but also the kindness to all the believers in the area. And then he mentions how he's been praying for them. But now the letter turns to a brief description of what's been going on in Paul's life. You can almost imagine him thinking, they're probably worried about me right now. They're probably thinking, what's happening to Paul? Is he okay? He's been locked up in the middle of Rome. I mean, that's Rome. That's that's not good. That's where they feed the Christians to the lions. We need to do something. We got to send him a blanket. We got to send him some food. We got to send some money so he can buy the things that he needs. You got to understand, these were uncertain times for believers. Persecution was ratcheting up within the empire. Followers of Jesus are getting locked up just because they're followers of Jesus. Some are getting beaten. Some are having their property and their possessions seized. Some are getting tossed to lions in Rome. 
The government is acting more and more and more hostile to Christians every single day. The emperor, himself not a Christian, acts against Christian. When they looked ahead, those early Christians, the days seemed like they were going to get worse, not better. We can relate, can't we? In our passage today, it's almost like Paul is going to take this hand, and then he's going to take this hand, and he's going to say, it's okay. Don't worry about me. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm good. And even if I'm not okay, even if something happens to me, it's going to be okay. Because it's not about me. It's about the gospel. And the gospel is advancing because nothing stops the gospel. I want you to look down at our text today. Let's start with verse 12. I want you to see how the gospel is advancing. Paul's great heart for the Philippians. He picks up his pen and he writes this. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This was an uncertain time, but in all the ways that would matter for the follower of Jesus Christ, there is no question what is going to happen. There is no question in the midst of uncertain times as to what our next day will be and the day after this. I can give you an absolute guarantee here tonight. Here's the guarantee. Nothing and no one will ever, ever stop the gospel. Nothing will stop the march of this unstoppable force of the truth of Jesus Christ and his message for the world. I want you to show you this from the text, and I want to give you this first truth here this evening. The first truth is this. The gospel will advance. Prison can't stop it. Prison can't stop it. Let's go through this verse by verse. Verse 12, again, in your copy of God's word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what, we might ask right away, looking at God's word, what has actually happened to him? We could read the beginning of, God's, of, of, of Philippians. Maybe the ESV study Bible has some notes and saying he's in jail. But how would you know he's in jail other than maybe what the ESV study Bible would say? Well, you could look down at verse 13. And then you could look at verse 14. Do you see this? By imprisonment, imprisonment. He's in jail. I want you to know, brothers, that me being in jail has actually served to advance the gospel. Being locked up behind bars has actually been a good thing for the gospel, says Paul. Pause. What? How, how could that possibly be true? How, how could you possibly look at being locked up in jail as a good outcome for your life? We gotta remember, as we think about this, and as my heart gets struggling through this, we're looking at the Apostle Paul, right? Why is this a good thing that he's in jail? This is the Apostle Paul, this is the man, the myth, the legend. 
This is the guy who planted dozens of churches, who's been jailed several times, who's gone through several shipwrecks at the time of this writing. He, he stood before kings and declared the gospel. This guy's the man. Like this guy would be the Michael Jordan of the early church. The rookie card would be pressed behind glass in the back of the shop. This is a big deal. But he's in jail. Paul's been locked up. You lose your MVP, you lose games. You would think this would be the worst possible outcome. But Paul says, what's happened to me has actually really served to advance the gospel. Jail's been good for me, man. What? How so? Verse 13. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now that word there for the imperial guard, that's the praetorian guard. This is, if you understand this, this is the emperor's personal bodyguards. Paul was a prisoner of Caesar. He had appealed to Caesar. He's locked up by these big guys, special guys, not ordinary jailers, very, very serious dudes, very, very big dudes, in fact. They took their job very seriously. In fact, what they used to do, if you, if you know this, they used to lock up the prisoner to the guard. That's what the Praetorian Guard did. If you were a prisoner of Caesar, you were locked up to a Goliath of a man, chained to the wrist of a soldier. Twelve hours at a time, this monstrous soldier, just big, big guy. Picture Robbie Gallaty, big guy locked up to, okay? Right next to him. I want you to know it's what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Can you picture this? New guard starts his shift, walks in, unlocks the old guard, sits down, locks monstrous man sitting down next to him. There's the Apostle Paul. Bible tells us elsewhere he's, he's got an eye problem. He can't. Little guy, beaten up a lot, sits there. Guard sits down. Paul. Twelve hours. I got you for twelve hours. You can imagine over the course, maybe hour one. Hey, can I be quiet? Hey, can, hour two. Maybe hour five. Why are you locked up? Can I tell you why I'm locked up? It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Can you picture these guys on their lunch break? Grabbing some Tim Hortons, walking into the, whatever they sit. And man, that guy in cell two talks a lot about Jesus, doesn't he? Yeah, what's happening? What's happening here? Prison can't stop the gospel because nothing stops the gospel. Now, just for a second, you've got your, your place in Philippians. I want you to flip over to Philippians chapter 4, right at the end of the book. Philippians chapter 4, look at verses 21 and 22. Verse 22 says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. Now, how does that happen, huh? <laughs> Caesar's guards leave their shift, walk back to the house. 
the gospel goes forth. Paul says, hey, 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 you worried about how I'm doing? Don't worry. I'm doing great. Because me being in jail means that the gospel goes to places that I can't possibly go. I'm chained, but guess what? The gospel is wild and free, baby. Who knows what will happen to me? But the gospel, sure as the sun rises, the gospel will not be stopped. But notice, the gospel, the jail, has been good for another reason. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What else is happening while Paul's being locked up? What's, what's happening to those who are not in prison? I want you to look at the key words you've got in verse 14. They're all synonymous. Confident, much more bold, without fear. Do you see them here? Confident, that's in your text. Much more bold, without fear. What's happening? They're lo Paul's locked up and they're standing up. We can do this. We got this. It's like chopping down the biggest oak tree in the forest. When it falls, all the saplings start to reach up for the light. Like, 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 like every good sports movie ever, where the main player gets knocked out through an injury, and all the rest of the players gather on the sideline or on the, on the, on the ice, and they go, you know what we need to do? Let's go out there and win this for Paul. I love that. Let's go out there and win this for Paul. We can do this. Let's stand in the gap and do this. And the Lord fills them with the spirit and the believers are emboldened to step up and speak the word without fear. And you know what the enemy says? The enemy goes, uh-oh. Well, I guess that backfired. How's prison been, Paul? How's prison been? Fantastic. Let me tell you what's happening. The gospel is getting right into Caesar's house because I'm locked up to the guards all day long. Let me tell you what else is happening. The believers in Christ who were, who were once fearful are stepping forward by faith and practicing and sharing and believing that God is bigger than this. How's prison been? It's been fantastic. Because guess what? Paul realizes that the gospel is not, not about Paul. So you can lock Paul up. You can lock me up, says Paul. It doesn't stop it. Prison can't stop it because nothing stops the gospel. Now, before we leave this point and move on, let me share with you this truth for you who are a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been thinking a lot about this lately as the new year turns. I've been thinking about my pursuit of Christ and looking at some of my practices that I've got in my life and, and asking the question, okay, is this helpful right now is, 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 or is this need to go from my life right now? So we look at our lives and the things that we've got going on, and, and my pursuit of Jesus Christ, what are the things that actually drag me back? And, and what are the things that distract me and need to be refocused again? And then what are the things that drive me to Jesus Christ? This has been something I've been thinking as 2018 turns, and, and you're probably guessing that I want to do more of that and get rid of things like this. What do you do with drags? You cut them down. You, you get rid of them. And, and if you're diverted or distracted, you bring it back in line so you're pursuing Jesus the whole way. Now, why did I put that up for you? Because I think many of us look at the trials and the difficulties and the prisons of our lives and say, that's a drag. That's keeping me from following Jesus the way I need to be doing that's stopping me from running after him 100%. Now, what Paul has done in these three verses that we've looked at 
is to say something profound. He says, you thought my imprisonment is a drag on the gospel? But listen, be at peace because it's being used by the Lord as a gale-forced wind driving the gospel forward. Question, what prison are you in right now? What situation, what trial, what difficulty are you struggling with that the Lord wants to use in your life to drive you and to drive the pursuit of Jesus in your life? What thing are you looking at saying, God, if you would just stop this in my life right now, I'd be able to run harder for you. God, if you would just fix this crisis in my life right now, if you would bring me back my health right now, then I could, I could do so much for you. What, 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 what thing in your life has God brought that he's wanting to use for his glory? That he's wanting to take the gospel, pick it up, and bring it to places that it would never go to? Bring it to places like a cancer ward. Bring it to places like the schoolyard. Bring it into your home that is so hard and so dark so many days. Bring it into your workplace where you feel like you're the only one. Where does the gospel need to go? And how will God use you around other believers as you stand and are bold so that they could be standing and bold as well? God wants to use these. Not to break you, but to grow you. To place the gospel in the middle of somewhere it would never go. And to fire up other believers around you. Do you believe that tonight? The gospel will advance. Prison can't stop it. You think bars, you think bars can stop the gospel? <laughs> Give your head a shake. Nothing stops the gospel. Let's move on. By the way, do you know what citizens of heaven realize? We've been talking about this whole series, Citizens of Heaven, before we move on. Citizens of heaven realize that trial and difficulty and opposition are used by God to advance his purposes. Not to crush us, but to grow us and to move the message of Christ up the field. You call yourself a citizen of heaven? This is a truth you need to take into your life and with maturity believe that it's real. Trial, persecution, difficulty, not trying to crush me, but God trying to use to grow me and to advance the gospel. Let's move on. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Here's the next big truth Paul has for us, for the unstoppable nature of the gospel. The gospel will advance. Prison can't stop it. Here's the second thing. Pretense. Pretense can't stop it. Now, that word pretense is a word I yanked right out of verse 18. It's not a word we use a lot in the English. Let me explain it to you. Pretense means, you can, you can figure out what the word pretense means by taking off the last S-E and putting a D in there. Pretense means pretend. You're pretending. It's a fictitious reason hiding behind the real reason. Literally, the word means to shine up the outside of something while the inside remains the same. Let me give you an example of this. If I, if I was to take my, my van 
to the car wash right now and wash up the outside, and you were to see it in my driveway, you would say, well, that really looks clean. Well, then you might have forgotten that I have three little kids, and it's wintertime, and the inside is often a disaster. You would have fallen for my pretense. It's a, a shining up of the outside when the inside is rotten. What's Paul saying with the word pretense? What's Paul saying? He's saying even fake reasons, even bad motives, even ill will won't stop the gospel. Let's dig in. You'll see what I mean. Verse 15 again. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Some, Paul says, are actually preaching the gospel. How sick and twisted is this? They're actually preaching the gospel because they're resenting the success of someone else and they want to contend with someone else. It's a competition and they need to win. But who are they contending with? Look at verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're competing with Paul. They're competing with the Apostle Paul. They want to hurt him. They want to afflict him. They want to rub salt in his wounds. You think you're so great, Paul? You think you're so fantastic? You think, oh, everyone just, Paul comes in and everyone just falls down. Oh, we can't wait to hear Paul. Paul's coming to this town. Won't it be great? We'll go here, Paul, 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 Paul. You know who else can preach? I can preach. No, no, it have to be Paul. Everyone's fawning over Paul. What about me? I got skills. I got gifts. I can, I can talk. I can preach too, you know? The common goal of the gospel for some has been replaced with rivalry, looking to take Paul down. This is the fleshly ministry of the gospel. This is self-display, the advancement of me. Others are passing me by. I, I need to do something. Others are getting praised. I should get praised too for the things that I do. Others' gifts are affirmed. A preacher, you're a great preacher, you're a great servant, you've got wisdom. Yeah, well, I'm a good preacher too. I can serve too. I, I'm pretty smart. i got wisdom too. And what happens when that sits in the heart? The heart resolves itself and says, I will cut you down. You're locked up, Paul. I will cut you down, and I will advance myself using preaching to do so. Isn't that sick? That stuff goes on even in church. Yep, even at church. Not everyone felt that way. Back to verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from good will. Then verse 16, the latter do it out of love, the goodwill people, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Some weren't preaching like that. They were preaching because they loved Paul. They love this man. Maybe, maybe he led them to the Lord, some of them. They saw themselves as little trees stepping up because the big tree had been knocked down. You know, guys, 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 did you hear Paul's locked up in, in Rome? All the way in Rome, he's locked up? Oh, what are we going to do? You know what we need to do? We need to step up. We need to get out. We, we got to stand up and we got we to declare the gospel. We, the gospel has to get out. If Paul's locked up, it's time for you and I. It's go time. Let's do it. The gospel needs to get out. The gospel needs to get out. Now let's pause here for a second. Because I've been saying that word gospel a lot. For the entire message, in fact. 
I've been taking it for granted that you actually know what it means. Can I take a moment? Just I want to unpack that word gospel. I think it'd be helpful, okay? The word gospel, the English word, is actually, this is how it was spelled a couple hundred years ago, God's spell. It doesn't mean God, it means good news. And that's a translation, the English, that's the old English, where we get gospel. You just take the D out, there it is. That's a translation, English, from the Greek, which means good news. So they said, okay, we'll take that word good news, and we'll make it look like this, good news. So you could legitimately translate the gospel today by saying good news. You've ever heard that before? Let me show you the good news, that's gospel. And how about this? You look down here, euangelion. If you just take that U out and put V in there, evangelion. You see that? You see that? This is where the word comes from. It means good news. Good news. Good news. What? Well, what's the good news? Well, if, if, if it's, it's news and it's good, well, tell me what the good news is. Well, you could summarize it. You could summarize the good news with these four words. Four words. Let's start with this one. God. It answers, each of these answer critical questions. The first one, who made you? Who are you accountable to? Why are you here? What's your purpose in life? God. God, it, first word, God is the creator, the sustainer of everything. And therefore, as the creator and the sustainer, we as humans belong to him. Secondly, sin. Sin. What? Sin. This answers the critical question of what's wrong with the world? And even if you're aware, what's wrong with me? The word sin, not bad thoughts, not a broken relationship even. Sin is me alienating myself from God, me turning away from a God who made me and whom I am accountable to and saying, not you, I'll do it my own way. My own way, my own time, because I'm in charge, not you. God, sin, Jesus. This answers the question, what's the solution? I see all the problem and the hurt in my life and the hurt in this world. What's the solution? Jesus. This speaks of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God saw you. God saw us in our state and was not willing that we should perish, but freely gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. This Jesus who was born of a virgin, who walked the earth obediently, and walked humbly and obediently to a cross where he would be punished for your sins and mine. And in the act of the cross, the punishment of God weighs down upon him because of my sin, and the forgiveness of God comes upon me, and the righteousness of Christ comes upon me. We call this the great exchange. Jesus takes my sin, and I take his righteousness and forgiveness and eternal life, freely given by God. The Bible tells us that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The last word in gospel, the good news, calls us to see who God is and what's wrong with us, what the solution is, and the last word is response. It answers the critical question, well, how do I get that? How do I get that in my life? Is it enough for me just to mentally agree with that statement? Is it enough for me to just say, okay, that's good, I'll put some stickers up on my... No. The Bible calls us to repent, to turn away from the life that we're living, to turn away from this, not you, God, my way, God, to turn away from that and repent of that life and then to turn to God by faith and trust in Jesus. And the Bible says that if you do that, 
by faith in Jesus Christ, you would have life in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and eternity with him. That's the good news. Have you heard that before? Some of you have. Some of you, this is the first time. Maybe you've heard it a ton. Do you know what the gospel is, though? The the gospel is a toothbrush truth. It is a truth that you need in the morning, in the middle of the day, and in the evening. Every single day of your life. Why do you need this? Why do you need to ask yourself the question, what's the good news? What's the good news? Why do you need to wake up in the morning and remind yourself of the good news? Well, because every single day of your life, you will preach some kind of gospel to yourself. That's the truth. Every single day of your life, you will preach some kind of gospel to yourself. Maybe you'll wake up in the morning and you'll preach the gospel of possessions to yourself. You know what? This life is so hard. I'm so stressed at work. If I could just get more. If I could just get that place. If I could just get that life. If I could just get that home. If I could just get that toy. If I could just get, then it'll be all good. I'm struggling with the pain of this life. If I could just get more. Maybe you preach the gospel of possessions to yourself. Maybe it's the gospel of pleasure. If I could just enjoy one more, if I could just have that, if I could just have that, it's just a small thing. Can I just have that? Can I just taste this? Can I have more of that? If I could just get to that place. (sighs) Maybe you preach the gospel of pleasure. Maybe it's the gospel of achievement. I don't need all that stuff. I just need to get to a different status. I just need to go to a, I just need to get that place. I, I, I just need to get married. I just need to get rid of. I just need to add. Maybe it's the gospel of significance. If people would understand who I really am and what I'm really like, and I'm really valued in this life, if he actually figured out how important I am to him in this life, if she finally understood how great I am, if my boss finally recognized me for who I really am, I will have made it. Maybe you preach the gospel of significance. Maybe it's the gospel of the ideal. If life could look this way, and you wake up in the morning and you, I don't want to go to work, I don't want to deal with that, if it could just be like that, and you retreat in your mind and you think of the ideal place, oh, if I could just have that. Maybe it's the gospel of escape. I got to get out of here. I can't do this. If, if I could escape this life and this person and this situation and this trial, if I could just get out of what's going on right now, it'll be all better. This is the person who says, just two more months, head down, and we'll get it. Just, we just got to get through this. We just got to get through this. We just got to get through this. Or maybe it's health. If that part of me was working again, if I could just get that fixed, life's going to be great. I just need to get that more in my life. Every single day of your life, you'll preach some kind of gospel to yourself. What gospel are you preaching to yourself? Is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it the gospel of something else? And you have to preach a gospel to yourself, don't you? Because when you wake up in the morning and you look at life, life's hard. Life is really hard. Every single day of your life, you're struggling either with your own self or with other people's selves or other situations. You gotta have some kind of good news in you. So you preach the good news or whatever it looks like to your heart and your mind. If, they could just, if this could just be solved, it would be so much better. So these are our solutions. And then our heart runs to those solutions and then just wants more and more and more and more and more. You've got to understand this, loved ones. The longing, the desire for more and better in your life is good. The problem is, is your heart isn't able to discern what that is because it's broken. 
And Paul, you can picture him, behind bars, cries out, that's why we preach the good news of Jesus. Preach the good news of Jesus. Tell them about Jesus, the real one. Tell them the gospel. Tell them about God and tell them about sin and tell them about Jesus and tell them about the response. And then you know what happens? You know what happens? Look at all these false gospels again. All these false, false gospels. There they are. What happens? I got to get more. I don't need any more. I got Jesus. If I could just experience, I don't need to experience that. My greatest joy in this life is Jesus. I don't need to achieve anything. It's all been done for me in Christ. I don't need any significance. My significance is as a child of God. You can't get higher than that, man. I don't need the ideal. The ideal is coming, and trust me, it's going to be way more than I can even imagine. I don't need to escape. I'll walk through this life holding his hand because he's not leaving me. And what, what, what does it matter about? How, what are you going to do, kill me? And then I find him quicker. Do you know what happens? All of these things we run to, all of these false gospels are all answered in Jesus Christ. The heart's cry are all found in him. And that's why Paul behind the bars screams out, preach the real gospel. Tell them about Jesus. The real gospel. That you were made by God for God. But that sin has broken this relationship with your hearts and you sit alienated and judged by God. But the good, good father that he is has sent Jesus Christ who loves you limitlessly, who gave his life for you so that you might have hope and eternal life in him if you would just turn to him in faith and cling to him. And even tonight you could turn to him in faith and cling to Jesus Christ and find the hope of this real gospel God, sin, Christ, response. That's the gospel. That's what Paul cares about more than anything else in jail or his opponents. Look, look, look with me again what the thing is that Paul cares most about. Have your eyes open. Let's look back at verse 15 again. We'll read 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Or, so what do I do with that? Only that in every way, whether in pretend, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It doesn't take a Bible scholar, does it, to figure out what Paul's most excited about. Look at what he cares about. Look at what gives him joy. You can imagine, that you can imagine the Philippians coming to him and saying, Paul, Paul, here's the care package, and Paul opens it up. Oh, socks. I, I needed socks. Oh, there's a jacket in here. You guys are great. There's a pen. I thank you. Oh, the peanut M&M, you guys. Thank you so much. And then you can just imagine Epaphroditus. Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Paul, I got some news for you, man. Uh, I don't know how to say this. Oh, just go ahead. Say it. What is it? S some people in Philippi, there's people who are jealous of you, right? They're envious of you. And, 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 and they're saying, what are they saying? They're saying, who's this Paul guy in I can preach too, and I, I can preach way better than, than him. And Paul said, so wait, they're attacking me? Yeah. While they're preaching? Or they're, they're preaching the gospel and they're attacking me? Yeah. They don't, they don't like me? No. Okay, but they're preaching the gospel, right? Well, yeah, I mean, they're preaching the gospel. Like, like God, sin, Jesus, response, right? Right. Yeah, that's, that's what's happening. Sorry, Paul, to break that. That's fantastic! 
That's fantastic. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that awesome news. It doesn't matter to me. What do I do with that? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, he says. For Paul, you see, it's not about him. It's not about him at all. I don't care if they're pretending. I don't care if they hate me. If they're preaching the real gospel and it's going forward, then I'm all for it. I'm rejoicing. Don't you see? Don't you see? The gospel can't be stopped. Can't be stopped. Even pretense won't stop it because nothing stops the gospel. God, sin, Jesus, response. You can lock me up. You can throw all the hate you want at me. You won't stop the truth of who Jesus is because it's not about Paul. It's not about Craig. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. You thinking that bad-mouthing can stop me? I don't care what you think about me, Paul says. All I want is for the gospel, the good news of Jesus to get out. You know, if you're a citizen of heaven, you see this, right? You recognize that the only opinion of you that really matters and will really last is God's opinion of you. So what's God's opinion of you tonight? Have you laid hold of the gospel? And his opinion of you is a forgiven child of his. And a citizen of heaven recognizes that the only thing that really, really lasts and the only thing that will never be stopped is the mission of the gospel, the real one. In our passage today, Paul raised one hand and he raised the other. And he said, hey, listen, it's okay. It's okay. It's uncertain times, I know that, but I'm going to be okay. I'm good. And even if I'm not okay, and even if something happens to me, it's going to be Okay. Because it's not about me. It's about the gospel. The gospel is advancing because nothing stops the gospel. But here's the thing. We get lost in our trials. We struggle with false gospels. And we begin to starve our own lives. Even believers in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You starve your own life of the truth of the real deal gospel. And what happens when you wake up in the morning and you start pursuing things like possessions and status and achievement and, and pleasure and health and, you, and at the expense of the, the real gospel, pursuing the truth of Jesus Christ? What ends up happening to you? This is said, well, I think by Greg Gilbert. He wrote a book, by the way, What is the Gospel? It's a great book. He says this, an emaciated gospel, that means a starving, sickly-looking gospel that le- leads to an emaciated worship. It lowers our eyes away from God to self and cheapens what God has accomplished for us in Christ. The biblical gospel, by contrast, is like fuel for the furnace of worship. The more you understand about it, believe it, and rely on it, the more you adore God both for who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. That's a full belly of the gospel. But some of us are emaciated tonight. Our lives are telling a different story. Our lives are telling the story that we're actually starving for the real thing. And the gospel calls you even tonight. The real thing calls you to the bigger, soul-satisfying mission of faith in Jesus Christ. To see yourself as a citizen of heaven. To see that trial and difficulty and opposition are not used by God to crush us, but they're being used by God to advance his purposes, to get the message out, to grow us and to move the message of Christ up the field. The jail sentences get turned into boldness for him. And as a citizen of heaven, you begin to realize and recognize that the only opinion of you that matters is the one that God gives you. 
And you begin to realize that the only mission that really matters is the mission of the gospel of Jesus, the real one. And then you find joy in the pursuit of the real deal. Here's the truth. Nothing stops the gospel. And when you realize that, you will find real boldness and real joy in your life. Let me pray. God, I don't know if there's anybody here like me tonight where I'm confronted with the truth of your word and realizing how much I fall short, how much I have sat down at a table and feasted upon things that do not satisfy my soul, given myself good news, which is really no good news at all. Good news, Craig, if you get more, you'll be happier. Good news, Craig, if there's more pleasure in your life, life will be easier. Good news, Craig, if you achieve this, Good news, if you can escape this current trial, these things have left me hungry and wanting more. And what's more, they've also turned me looking at the things of my life, the trials, the difficulties, which I know compared to some in this room are small, small, small. Some are going through so much now, Lord. But because I'm hungry for the gospel, the real thing, I begin to look at the trials of my life and say, well, if I could just get away from this not seeing how you want to use me in it, not seeing how you want to grow me, get the gospel out, share the truth of who you are. I don't know if there's others like me in this room right now, Lord, tonight. But Lord, I pray for them and I pray for me, Lord, that you would lead us back to you. I thank you, Lord, that the answer to this is not some self-help thing. It's not, okay, if I just fix my mind and if I just read my Bible more, if I just pray, the answer is always true. It's the answer today, which has been the answer from day one, which is to run to Jesus. To fall upon the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. To freely confess our sins. Maybe it's the place we're in right now. To run to the arms of the Savior who says, you do not need to do. It's all been done. You come to me if you're weary. You come to me if you're heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's not about you, it's about me. You come to me and you find joy. You come to me and you'll find peace. You come to me and you'll find hope. You'll come to me, you'll find strength for the trial that you're in, which is hard and I know it's hard. You come to me and find wisdom for that which you cannot do. Come to me. Even now, come to me, says Jesus to all of us. Lord, we recognize that there is salvation found in no other name except Jesus Christ. Would you turn our hearts to him now? Lord, I pray even as we finish our service together in worship and song to you that it truly would be worship from our hearts, overflowing out of a love for you and even maybe even a reframing tonight of the truth of the gospel. That our hearts would beat alongside the little man Paul in a prison some 2,000 years ago. He was rejoicing because the gospel is going forward. We thank you, Lord, for that certainty. When the world is so uncertain, the one thing we can always, always believe is that the gospel cannot be stopped. Lead us, God, we pray in worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.